Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of The Social Sanctuary with me, Harvey Morton. Ahead of Series 3 in the autumn today, I've got a special film-related episode for you with not one, but two fantastic guests as I'm chatting to Andy Meakin and Lee Ford of the Film File podcast. Andy and Lee started the Film File in 2019 and since then they've recorded over 70 plus brilliant episodes discussing films new and old, the latest news and reviews. So thank you for joining me today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your background and interests in cinema and the Film File podcast too? I'll go first because what always happens is I always say to Andy, Especially when we do things like a roundup. Andy, you go first. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm going to go first. So um, I, I've, I've been a filmmaker for, for 20 odd years. Uh, and that led me into uh, being a broadcaster. So I worked with the BBC and I was Radio Sheffield's, uh, what were they called? The film guru. I, guru. I was their film reviewer for, for nearly nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I had various slots. I had a, a Saturday morning spot uh, and I had the weekend show. Um, and then I, sadly I got made redundant. And uh, what happened from not having a weekly show, I guested on other people's shows. So I do, I still do now. Um, I do Radio Leeds and, and Radio Birmingham and sometimes far, further afield. Uh, what happens is, is that, um, you know, if there's a story breaks and they need, uh, um, a movie critic or TV reviewer to come in, then I'll come in and do that. Even though I've, I now have, have have regular slots with with Radio Leeds. But what was happening is, by not having a usual weekly show, I wasn't reviewing anything other than the sort of big blockbusters or the big name movies that were out. So you know, got an Avengers film, fantastic, I'll be there for it. But I wasn't being able to talk about some of the lesser films. Or, or some of the movies that, that were cropping up on Netflix that I thought were interesting, and and I and I felt as though I I, I wasn't going through the the proper motions of what I enjoyed, which is talking about cinema, my love of cinema. And Andy and I have been friends for years, and we met because I was at the press shows, uh, and and our our friendship sort of and our interests were were aligned, and and our friendship grew from that. Um, and and just I knew that Andy had had. Uh, a podcast and I knew Andy had got the, uh, the film file um, brand for want of a better ex- extent <laughs> uh, for a better term set up, didn't you Andy at uh, yeah. uh, on Twitter and you were using that, but it had fallen into, uh, it had fallen into, um, you'd not stop, you're not, you weren't using it to the full degree. Were you only at that point, yeah. Andy? So, um, and I just suggested, so we do a podcast and knew that he'd got the, he'd got the film file uh, branding. And at that point, the magic happened. And, and we sort of sat down for a few sort of loose meetings and um, uh, we kind of put together the show that it is. And from that very first show to today, apart from some of the technologies improved and, and our delivery is, has now got a style, I don't think it's changed that, that much at all from episode one. Yeah, I mean, to give some background for me, I mean, I'm originally from Liverpool. The accents might give a bit of it away, but I moved to Sheffield (laughs) when I came to study. Uh, 
uh, I'd like to say only three years ago because, you know, I'm only in my early 20s, obviously. <laughs> oh, how he lies. <laughs> it, the early 90s, I moved over to Sheffield and just took to Sheffield and stayed here. To say that I eat, breathe and sleep film would be an understatement. Right from early age, I've loved film. My mum used to take us to the cinema every week. And it was a big thing for me to see a new film or sit at home and watch a film on TV with her. And I've always loved sharing my thoughts of film with anyone who wanted to listen. Even if people were just sat next to me in the pub and I didn't know them, I would talk to them about anything that they want to know about film. So in 2001, when I started my first website to get my thoughts out, I then also had a chance to change my career at the same time. And I moved into cinema management. I'd worked at McDonald's for seven years. You know, it was it was a job. It paid the mm-hmm. rent. I'd work myself up to management. But I moved across into cinema because that's what I love. And I found working in that environment just absolutely made me love cinema even more, made me love film even more. And I got to meet, like Lee said, through press shows, etc. People like Lee, uh, Tony Earnshaw, and a lot of the critics, and built up a rapport with people and realized that what they do with talking about film is what I kind of did as a hobby. And I've not looked yeah. back from that point. It was an easy step from that point of having my website, working this industry and having the contacts to co-host with Steve Clark on Sheffield Live, the Film File radio show in about 2006, 2005, 2006, um, started co-hosting that. And I, Film File didn't exist for me up until that point. Um, up until that point, I was, use, I was using a, the moniker UK Movie Reviews. But on the show, I was just thinking to myself, why did I not think of Film File? So I went online and bought the domain name. And from that point onwards, basically stole the Film File away from Steve. He went off to work in Germany, left me as uh, main host of the show. And I just grew it from there. Once that radio show ended, I guested on other radio shows with other presenters over the years and then set up a new podcast. And the podcast was using some of the team from Cineworld used to just gather together once a month and just talk about a topic. From that point onwards, I just wanted to get my voice out there. Whether anyone was listening, if I have one listener, that's enough for me. Because it's always been about talking about film as though I'm talking to friends. And if anyone wants to join Mm -hmm. in the chat, more than happy for you to do it. The, The original podcast went for about 12 episodes and then we all went our separate ways. But I've always wanted to get it back. And it was from after I moved to the light... I was talking with Scott and I was talking with Lee about really love to get back into podcasting, but couldn't quite find the focus, couldn't quite find the direction. And it was like Lee said, it was, he basically said, well, let's give it a shot. Let's talk out ideas. And so we worked out the structure, the structure being that we have a brief chat at the beginning about what's going on in our lives, news, and then we talk about films Mm -hmm. and then the neat things at the end. And that structure has stayed the same ever since. Uh, we, we've thrown in classic films. We do the deep dives into classics. We've done the occasional look at typical genres. We, we did um, <laughs> we did post-apocalyptic as a genre um, <laughs> way, way back last year. <laughs> uh, but it's always had that same style and focus, and it's always just been about me and Lee, and occasionally Scott. Sadly, Scott had to step away from the podcast during lockdown. Uh, but it's always been about us just chatting as we normally would, sat around a table, having a laugh about film as people who love films, just talking about what we love and what we don't particularly like and just having fun, sharing opinions. And that's what it's all about. And, and the show's grown around that, that, that central, central idea, really. It's, 
um, the structure of the show, as I said, has, hasn't really changed from from episode one because if, if it if it works, don't try and fix it. And it, and it helps us as you know helps me because I'm, I come from a broadcast background to to know what's going to come next. Uh, and sometimes I feel like the host and Andy's the the intelligence behind it. <laughs> um, but we we bounce off and we we've developed this this rapport. It, it's made our friendship stronger, I think, more than anything else mm. because uh, especially during lockdown. I probably spoke to Andy more than I spoke to anyone else outside of outside of the household, especially during the sort of the first lockdown. Uh, and I think all the disadvantages that, that lockdown brought, the advantage was is that we had the structure of the film file every week that went from being this two roughly every two weeks program to being weekly and the commitment to that. Um, and it kept us going, and it kept the the ability to talk about film. Okay, we weren't seeing movies in the cinema anymore, but we could keep we could start to build an audience. We could keep people updated. We could keep ourselves updated, and it, and it mm -hmm. became such such a lifeline yeah. that it was it was the only structure I think that was that was going on for a lot of us. If it hadn't have been for the weekly structure that we put into place for the film file, it would have been a hard. I mean, it was a hard lockdown. For most of the country anyway mm -hmm. but it would have been even harder without having that one thing each week to focus on and yeah being able to do it over the internet which was something that we had to just embrace and work out we how to do it along didn't we because well, we did yeah. that and we originally you did it in your kitchen and you, you can tell on the earlier episodes during lockdown how we hadn't quite got the sound mix right and that was my side of it like trying to edit all the footage afterwards and working out ways of doing it uh, but you know at the same time i've built up skills from doing this rather than just recording a show and putting it out there i've worked out how to okay got a bit of echo distortion need to remove that got some layering to do got this to do and i've, I've given myself side projects as a result and this this is marvelous as a hobby i've learned how to do sound engineering <laughs> <laughs> it makes me yeah, sound well, good. i discovered the podcast in lockdown last year so it was great to just use it as a way of keeping up to date with with everything um with with film and cinema and you mentioned as well um your first memories of going to the cinema um do you both have any particular films or cinema visits that have stood out to you over the years blindly so many and, and a bit like andy i had the joy that my mum used to take me and my little sister to to the pictures mm -hmm. and um uh, I have a, a, a treasured knowledge of film from from those moments. You know, like every other kid, especially slightly my generation, we went to um, we went to see all the Disney films. My mom and my mom insisted that we saw them, so I saw Snow White. Uh, I remember seeing Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. You know, Kirk Douglas and James Mason, and um, being blown away. And we would we would travel, you know, travel across the city to all the different cinemas that existed there in Sheffield and I would get to see all these movies you know I'm still I'm still in therapy over Bambi because it made that much of an impression on me but the probably the one that stands out unlike everybody else the film that changed it for me was Star Wars but as a kid as a little kid um, the film that stood out for me was was Thunderbirds Argo the big screen version of and this is I'm kind of giving my age away was the big screen and I remember really clearly going with my mum and dad and it was a big deal because I'd been a fan of Thunderbirds on TV and I got to see it on the big screen and that was one of those moments but 
you know, I, I thankfully had my, my, my parents who would take me to see movies. My dad took me to see my first X-rated movie and all <laughs> films. I went through the, I went through the kung fu craze, and and I really wanted to see, um, I really wanted to see a, a Hong Kong kung fu movie. And he took me to see this movie, which, yeah, I, because I was tall, I got away with it. But one of the memories <laughs> was it, it was a kind of a Bruce Lee ripoff of, of it wasn't Bruce Lee, but it was kind of Game of Death kind of remade with a different actor playing Bruce Lee. I think it was called Bruce Lie, and it was it was a double bill and unknown to myself and my father with some sort of European softcore <laughs> porn movie, and my and, and, and like my dad just then uh, then get up and walk out, and and I'm seeing boobies for the first time. Uh, I will remind my father of this, but you know, then Star Wars came along, and 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 that got me interested in the mechanics of film, and and. You know, I think by by its third week out, I'd seen it twelve times, and and mm. Superman the movie, and and Close Encounters, and they all sort of came on the back of each other, and that got me into regular cinema going. But everything from mm-hmm. you know all Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, and uh, Land That Time Forgot with Doug McClure, and and the first Bond film that I saw was. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever that my mum and dad took me to and, and the first one I saw on my own was Live and Let Die. I remember going to the cinema and I, so I can't remember I might have been nine or ten I don't un, unheard of I wouldn't let my kid go out now <laughs> out at, at ten I went to see Live and Let Die it was fantastic so a, a culture of cinema existed and uh, and the etiquette that goes with cinema came from my parents uh, just so thankful I find it amusing that like the the references to films that you put in there are basically echoing what I was going to say. (laughs) My earliest childhood memory, and this is my first vivid childhood memory. We all have like little glimpses of memory, but there's then those Mm -hmm. moments that are from your early childhood. You go, wow, I can remember that significantly. And mine was the end of December 1977. We were down in London staying with relatives for the Christmas to New Year period. And Star Wars came out on the West End of London at the back end of 77 before it got the UK release in early 78. And my mum, being a huge film fan and being a sci-fi nerd herself, she doesn't always admit it, but she was. She was a sci-fi nerd. (laughs) She'd been hearing about Star Wars through all the publicity. And so she took us to go and see it down in London. And that that was the moment that opened my eyes to what film could be. At the age of four, I saw Star Wars on the big screen. And I can remember sitting there and just being captivated by everything going on that mm-hmm. opened up my interest in film and the, the around that time it, there was starting to be on like ITV and BBC behind the scenes making of short 30 minute specials of various films yeah and so i started to get engrossed in watching how they made these films and so that kept my passion going as a child not just for the, seeing the films like close encounters like superman but seeing how they made the magic on screen and from there it just grew and grew superman made me love comic books as well I, that was the first superhero mm-hmm. that i was introduced to and my mom went out and bought me some superman comic books and also bought me something called fantastic four which uh, to say that fantastic four <laughs> are my favorites um, the fact that my Funko Pops sit in front of me whenever I'm recording the podcast. Say that sometimes make a guest appearance. They do quite frequently. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it led to that kind of passion for comics. Close Encounters gave me the full passion for sci-fi in all its styles. And then on TV, I got to watch 
disaster movies like Poseidon Adventure. And boy, I love a disaster movie. And I got to watch Westerns and I got to watch musicals. And so my whole love of film grew from just those experiences with my mother watching films. Mm -hmm. My dad was working away from home for 30 days each month. So I didn't have a lot of the a lot of influences from him film wise, except for maybe Blazing Saddles. So that's the one film that we have in common. But my mom nurtured my taste in films. Yes, there's bad memories too. My mum took us to sing <laughs> Can't Stop the Music. Um, I don't know oh, if that's, that's really, I never knew that, Andy. That's that that deserves therapy. It, it's it's the village people movie and it's utter garbage. With Valerie Perrine. And she also took me to see Empire of the Ants which uh, Joan Collins still scares me to this very day as a result. <laughs> uh, but throughout my life, even in my teenage years, there's memorable moments. We, mm. Me and my mates were first in line for Terminator 2 at the Showcase Cinema in Liverpool. Uh, and we got free T-shirts as a bonus for being there. We were we queued up from 8 o'clock in the morning until the doors opened at 10 o'clock just to go and see Terminator 2 <laughs> on the big screen. And just being first to go and see it was just like a huge, like, wow, we've seen it before anyone else. Let's go and spoil it for people at school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it, it's been with me throughout my life. And, you know, working within the profession now basically has come from those early memories and how much it impacted on me. Yeah, I guess that you had uh, both had uh, a good exposure to lots of different films at a, at a really young age, and that's what started the passion, really. And yeah, last autumn, um, there were lots of articles in the press about how cinema is dead and how cinema wouldn't be something that survives the pandemic. I know it's something that you've covered a lot on the film file, but as someone who goes to the cinema every week myself, the news really affected me. So how did it affect you too? And more positively, can you tell us how things have been since cinemas reopened? I, I mean, Andy will tell you from from a, a you know front line in, in a way that that he, he has a he has that that knowledge of people coming through the doors and bums on seats. But for me, and for, for we talked about this on so many episodes and even we are still talking about it on, on present day episodes is that the cinemas endured so many different knocks across the age and, and Andy's own words were you know when TV came around cinema was dead when the war came around cinema was dead uh, when video games when uh, VHS and when Blu-ray and um, all these things cinemas dead and it's everybody's is ready to write write its epitaph and, and say you know it's over a resting peace cinema and it always bounces back and it always comes back and and the the thing that that's been our guiding light is it's um, and the film the film file is about this it's the shared experience mm-hmm. it's sat in a theater with your mates or an, an unknown audience and sharing something when i what used to do the, the the press shows the set press shows you get half a dozen critics in a room and you'd be watching a comedy and people daren't laugh in comedies in press rooms because they, they, they want to be serious critics and it can destroy a film sit in the same movie with an audience who are you know rolling in the aisles and laughing and enjoying it and and you are caught up in that almost like religious furor of, of being with other people who are experiencing what you're experiencing in their own way. Same with horror movies. I think that's why cinema won't die. It's, it's okay watching a movie at home. You know, we'll be talking about Tomorrow War 
I would have had a different experience with that than I did at home. Uh, and and my thoughts would have been entirely different sharing that experience with with other people. And sometimes it can be for the better or for the worse of, of sharing it with mm-hmm. an audience. But that's what intrinsically cinema is. It, it's sharing something. And I think the one thing that's happened over lockdown uh, are, are people are ready to share again. Um, and especially people who love cinema have been biting at the bit to walk through the doors. But Andy, you know from your experiences on the front line of, of people coming back. How, how are you seeing that? When we spoke about it during the lockdown last year, Lee was always the more positive one that, no, cinema's not got a worry. But from working within the industry, yeah. uh, it, it was hard to stay positive. Uh, cinema's survived many events like Lee's gone through, you know, VHS, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not died yet. But the worry was coming from the fact that the giants such as Cineworld had financial difficulties that threatened to actually topple them. And if the giants internationally, like AMC, Cineworld, et cetera, ended up having to close sites or going bankrupt, that would have a knockdown effect throughout the industry. And that's what caused me to get concerned. It wasn't that cinema wouldn't survive. Cinema would survive in some way, shape or form, but it would be impacted mm-hmm. in a huge way. It would put jobs at risk. It would risk taking away the joy of cinema. It would put pressure on the smaller cinemas who maybe aren't as financially secure that if the big giants have just toppled, wow, maybe we should close now. So there could have been an absolute disaster. And to all to all reports which were in the financial press, Cineworld were pretty close, pretty close before they managed to get the... They basically got some more funding in order to cover the interest payments that were happening on the loans that were outstanding mm-hmm. to keep them going, to maintain liquidity. If they'd have toppled, it would have had a ripple-down effect, and that's what worried me. It, cinemas had previously had been confident in things like release windows, having a 12-week release release window. And this was a shake-up. The lockdown was a shake-up for the industry to make it sit up and go, maybe cinemas are being too cocky. Maybe distributors and cinemas need to work a bit closer together because there's always been bickering between the two. There's always been something got in the way. There's been films like, uh, was it the second night at the museum film or the third one that got pulled from UK cinemas after one week of opening because Fox wanted to release it on home release on tech week 10 rather than week 12 so the major cinemas in the uk all went fine we took it off then and there's always been that bickering now there's a chance for like them to work together a chance for them to come together and make it make it accessible for people to get into cinemas but also allow people to choose how they want to watch films and i genuinely do believe that people who go to the cinema will choose to go to the cinema rather than watching something at home films like black widow are not going to be something that you want to watch on a small screen. They, they're they big event films, so there'll always be a home for things like that. Reopening, when we reopened, it was a worry, because when we reopened last year, Tenet, the big saviour of cinema, wasn't. It mm-hmm. didn't bring in the numbers that they were expecting, and that made the, the industry panic. So when we were reopening this time at 50% capacity, there was that concern again. It's like, oh, are we going to be reopening to like no business Oh, maybe we've got too many staff. We've hardly got any staff left, to be honest with you. Most of them have moved on. <laughs> and then the first week that we opened, we did twice the amount of business that we were anticipating doing. And then the second week, we did twice the amount that we were anticipating. And whilst the footballs put a little bit of a blocker on the admits at the moment, we're still seeing strong numbers, especially for the more diverse product. You know, we've got the musicals crowd coming in. 
We've got the Cruella crowd coming back for more and more times to see that. But we're seeing a lot of the regular faces. We're seeing a lot of the old customers coming in. On that first weekend of reopening, that very first night, there was Mm -hmm. one of our regular customers was almost in tears talking to me about how glad he was to be back through the doors. And that made it all worthwhile. And that made me go, you know what? Cinema's safe. Black Widow is due out this week. And the numbers on mm-hmm. bookings are looking solid enough. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see a return to normal pretty soon. Yeah, I, do. I think once once we get over these hiccups, I think I think last year, and I went a, a, a fair few times in that that brief window, is that that people were nervous and didn't know what to expect, and it didn't feel you know you were there sat in a mask and you were there at, at reduced capacity, and, and I and I you know, maybe degrees of hindsight, but I think when we came out of lockdown during the summer of last year, it didn't feel as though it was going to be permanent. You know, there was there was always that 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 worry of the next wave. And I think people were nervous, but people did go back to the cinema. And if you give people a reason to, then they'll do it. I think there will be a cultural change. And I think that's that's going to be the downside of it. And I think cinemas and broadcasters and, and, and streaming platforms have all got to refine their feet. But I think Netflix have, have kind of moved into this area now where they they knew who they know who they are. I think Disney Plus have had to do it very, very quickly. Um mm-hmm. and, and find their feet, you know, big hopes like Mulan didn't land for them on, on streaming. Um I think Black Widow might change that. But there are there are bits and bits and pieces where we're going through these motions and we're going, okay, this is wasn't how it used to be, but this is maybe how it is going to be from now on. And I think once we settle down, you know, even things like getting the football out of the way, which to some extent couldn't have happened at a worse time. Um, <laughs> it could have happened at no time and I wouldn't be bothered. But I think we I think it's about finding its feet. I think people are feeling more secure about going out in a way that they weren't those few months ago, or, or you know, or a year ago, blimey, uh, Tenant wasn't the right film to, to open it and, and put that much emphasis on it. But it did well. It did well at the box office. It didn't do the astronomical figures. I kind of think it wouldn't have done the astronomical figures if cinemas had been open uh, uh, to, to, to regular capacity. I think it was just one of those films that, that was too diversive for a, 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 a mainstream audience and would have found its feet somehow, but I don't think that was the film. If Black Widow opened, I think we might have had a different story. But we see it with 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 Kong and Godzilla. We've seen it with, you know, um, the spectacle movies. I think what we have seen is indie film is going to get a small limited release and will play better on Netflix. But if you are spending however much it is to go to the cinema now, then you want to be entertained and you want that spectacle. And I think there's that readjustment, repolarization of what cinema is. Mm-hmm. And for right or wrong, it will keep cinema alive. 
Definitely. I mean, I've noticed how much busier it's been um, since it's reopened compared to last autumn when I came to see St. Maud and On the Rocks. I was actually on my own and I thought, <laughs> this isn't right. Like, there's all this space around me. and <laughs> But thankfully, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a different story since reopening, which is really positive to see. I mean, the fact that we've um, started rehiring again shows that we realise now that we need more staff. We took our staff levels down as people were starting to leave last year because if someone left, it was like, well, you know what? We haven't got the hours to give them. But now we've got more hours because we're busier than what we expected. So it's great. It's great to know that we haven't got enough staff, even though it makes working even harder. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any films that you're really excited to see over the months ahead? Oh, gazillions. Um, can't wait to see Black, Black Widow. Looking forward to Suicide Squad. The more I see of that, the more interesting it, it becomes. Yeah, me too. You know, James Gunn is going to de- deliver something uh, which is um, which is chaotic and messy and fun and silly and uh, all types of humour, and I'm looking forward to Suicide Squad. I, I just feel inundated by keep going, uh, yeah, yeah, must see, must see, must see. Uh, freaky, I'm looking forward to seeing um, in time for broadcasting tomorrow. <laughs> there are just so many. I, I, I don't even know where to start. I'm just so pleased. It's, it's, it's having that choice that you can go back and, and not worry. I, I think the, the, the worry about being slightly habitual and getting into that, that mind frame about leaving the house and going out is, is, is going to be the hardest thing to break. Um, being able to think, right, go to the cinema tonight. But it's just an exciting time. Bond, I can't wait for. There's just so many. I, I, I wish I'd brought a list because I'd be going, that one, that one, that one, that one, yeah, that one, that one. <laughs> I mean, as well as the ones that Lee's mentioned, I mean, Bond, definitely. We've, we've waited for that for so many years. Uh, I, 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 it's been delayed so often. I can't <laughs> even believe that it's still coming out. I won't believe it until I'm sat watching it. But there's, there's that one week, well, it's now two weeks, at the end of October, that has my top three anticipated films of this year. Last Night in Soho, Dune and French Dispatch. The end of October is going to be marvellous for me. They are um, films that I have been clamouring to see. Uh, Then obviously there's the Marvel output. We've got The Eternals, we've got Shang-Chi, and then we've got a new Matrix film. I mean, everyone seems to have forgotten that there's a new Matrix film in production. Man, how are we forgetting there's a new Matrix film? There's so many films coming out <laughs> that literally from this point onwards, it's every two weeks, there's at least one or two films that have caught my eye that I need to see. And this bottlenecking that's happened because of all the delayed productions and all the films that were still in production, it means that for cinema goers, we've got a heck of a year ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. Roll it's on. getting the time to uh, catch up and see everything. <laughs> Do you think that it'll be interesting with with Black Widow to see how streaming numbers compare to people that have chosen to see it in the cinema? Do you think that's the film that will be the the key to tell whether cinema's more popular over streaming? I think I think Marvel have done an, an absolutely unique thing because they've created a brand led rather than a, a, a movie, and more people are interested in the brand. Uh, and people who aren't, you know, comic geeks will go and see this brand as Marvel, and I think that's 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 an encouragement. I think it's a big test 
but 15 quid however much it is andy knows better than i do however much it is to to stream that movie is is also a big ask i mean yes you can have five people around you can all watch it together and all all chip in in a way that you can't do with them with a the cinema but it's designed for the for the big screen i don't think it's going to be the hugest box office success that marvel's ever had but word of mouth's good on it the reviews are good on it uh and i think it's it is a good tester my hope is is that it mm-hmm. proves that 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 people are ready and that the streaming platforms the disney pluses etc will extend that state of grace a little bit longer to say let's give the movie a chance at, at the box office before we offer it out straight onto streaming at the same time i don't think necessarily with kind of a, a marvel movie that this will be the rule i think black widow to some extent will be the exception that, that falls into this from within the industry obviously black widow is the one that we're keeping a close eye on because it's such a high profile film getting that split release and Feige was very keen to not do the split release for so long but then it, it's kind of got to the situation it's like look this has to be a split release or it's never coming out so it's it's one that out of all the films that have had like a streaming release and cinema release this is the one that is the big decider as to whether there's future for cinema and I think that's unfair to put on something like Black Widow because immediately, if it doesn't break a billion, then people are going to unfairly compare it to how Endgame performed. And you shouldn't. You should compare this to maybe a Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange first film, which was a success, not a huge success, but a success. But I think people are going to unfairly start referring to the bigger Marvel films when they're comparing yeah. this one, when it's a low-key mm-hmm. Marvel film. The big Marvel film should basically be the next Guardians of the Galaxy film or Doctor Strange Multiverse. There, when we're getting to the big ones. In the meantime, Black Widow, Eternals and Shang-Chi are smaller films. They may be epic in scale. Eternals looks very epic in scale, Mm -hmm. but it's an unknown bunch of characters in that one. So they can't really compare it. You can't compare until you get to known territory. And whilst Black Widow is known territory, it's not a huge character for them to focus on for a solo film. That said, no. I think it's going to do. I think it's going to do well at the cinemas, and I think it'll do well on streaming. Like Lee said, for nineteen pound ninety nine, for some families, it might be the cheaper option, and I don't blame them because lockdown messed us all over financially. So we're all clamouring to like get entertainment wherever we can for whatever price we can. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. blame people for skipping this one for the streaming, but I'm optimistic that this will be the one that brings a lot more people back to the cinema than what previous films have done. I'm sure it will. I mean, feedback uh, from friends, everyone I know who's been has said what a positive experience it's been at the cinema, which is is great. I think like you were saying, Lee, uh, once people go back, uh, it's likely that they've, they've broke that cycle then and they'll keep going back. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's slightly a re-education you know, I think we get through the hurdle of, of cinema and then we can start looking at theatre and music. And I think it's 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 just putting your toe in the water. But mm-hmm. I, I'm feeling confident. I think people want want to share that experience of, of whether of, of mass entertainment, whether it's a movie, whether it's music or, you know, whether it's theatre. We are social animals. We might have to relearn that. Uh, but but cinema and entertainment is, is who we are. It defines who we are. And 
Mm-hmm. You you can't not have it in your life because you become so insular. Bring back cinema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, over the last few months as well, there's been a rise in, in social media attacks on film critics, particularly where a film has had a huge fan base. Um, have you both had any experience of this? Because I know it's something that you've spoken about. You realise you're about to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a great dweller on uh, on social media. Uh, I, I I remember. This, I mean, film critics have always been been a target for for ferocious fandom. And if you don't like something, they now uh, fandom has a voice that it didn't have, but. To sort of um, to key Andy in, who's had much more to say on this. When I first started as a film critic with the BBC, I was asked to talk about the Full Monty, Sheffield film, a Sheffield broadcaster, Sheffield film reviewer. Everything would work. I hated the movie, and people rang in and uh, didn't email then, but rang in and complained that I was uh, I, I wasn't a true Sheffield boy because I don't have have the accent and. How could I hate the full Monty? And you know what? That lasted for a week, and then when they they made me uh, a, a regular presenter on 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 the channel, uh, it became a running joke. But you know, everything is a flash in the pan, uh, mm-hmm. and and you know, to, to quote an old journalistic term, um, the news is is tomorrow's uh, newspaper is is tomorrow's uh, fish fish and chips wrapping because it's over so quickly and and in in social media it's 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 done and dusted and blown over in days so it, it doesn't worry me and what what's the worst they can do they can insult me i've, I've had as, as oscar wilde must have said and if he didn't shouldn't have said there are there are bigger and better people who've insulted me than, than some <laughs> random sex <Snyder> fan. <laughs> <laughs> well um i mean yeah i mean i've had run-ins uh, i'm more i'm more on the social media aspect so i get to see this happen quite a lot to other people yeah but i've had it happen to myself my original twitter account i ended up closing down because i had a run-in with a certain hashtag using fan base which i won't go into the details of uh, <laughs> who this fan base are but i'm sure you're aware which fan base uses hashtags the more than anything my crime I dared to say that I didn't like Man of Steel because it didn't reflect the Superman that I love from the comics. Q, abuse, being called a Marvel fanboy, despite the fact that I said that I read the Superman comic. I'm a huge Superman fan. Um, (laughs) And I got death threats. I got people saying, you live in Sheffield. I know what you look like. I'm going to find you. And I was like, whoa, that this is too much. I was getting DMs basically threatening my life. And, Initially, when I was getting some negativity from them, I made the silly mistake of trying to engage with them, highlighting that yeah. I liked other Snyder films, but I don't click with his DC stuff. And that made it worse. They went overboard and started sending all their buddies across. One of them like, have you seen this idiot? And they're all attacking me. So I shut down the account. I completely closed it down. For a while with the film file, I only had a logo on there. So no one knew that it was actually me doing the film file and I wait until the dusted ups all settled before I revealed who I was doing the film file. And since then I've been, I've been careful with how I've treaded online with certain topics. Mm-hmm. I, there's been many times that I've wanted to reply to someone with my own personal comments. Yeah. and just thought, is this worth the hassle? No back away. And don't get me wrong. There's some great people within that certain hashtag community. There's one who I chat with quite frequently and he was the one who actually started 
the particular hashtag that got used to bring that certain cut to life. And he's great. He's passionate about it. He understands that I'm not, and we can discuss it. But sadly, a lot of his followers also have this, like, if you don't like Zack Snyder, you must be an idiot mentality. And it's like, no, I just don't like those films. It's sad, really. And it's not just that fan base. There's other fan bases that do it on Twitter that have cultivated, yeah, groups of toxic followers. Um, I've managed to carve a nice little area on Twitter now which is my hashtag MTOS community, the MTOS mm-hmm. um, chats every Sunday. And we're all people who share opinions on films in a respectful way. And yes, we'll mock each other every now and then. If anyone dares to jump on and say that Paul Blart Mall Cop's a good film, I'm jumping on them. <laughs> um, but yeah. Sadly, even some of those folk have then been jumped on by some of the toxic fan bases when sharing an opinion in reply to an MTOS crit- um, comment. One unknown critic he calls himself on there attacked one of the, the guys who was answering the topic on star wars a few weeks ago simply because he didn't like the prequels this guy got toxic saying that the prequels were absolutely amazing and it's like really do, there's lines that you draw but that's not one where you draw it you do not try to say the prequels or anything other than just average uh, and I, it, it's 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 terrible that you have to tread these minefields on social media when social media it is social media you should be able to talk to people in the same way that you normally would sadly these people hide behind their twitter accounts and they get abusive and toxic because they know that there's no repercussions they would not talk to you like that to your face they would back down they go oh no. difference of opinion and walk away they grow this set to make them angry people online and i just don't get it just embrace everyone's different opinions if we all liked the same thing the world would be a boring place but yeah we'd have a really boring show yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) Uh, yeah i've i've had my letterbox profile stalked by unknown critic after he was having a go at me because i wanted cinemas to get some support and he basically thought that I hated people who worked in cinemas and wanted them all to get COVID. It's like, mate, I, I run a cinema. And he's like, oh, and he just wasn't getting it. And he was convinced that I hated people who work in cinemas. And because I was just like, look, I'm backing away from this. He then stalked my letterbox profile to then have a go at my tasting film, which I took a screenshot of what he posted. And it's now my header on Twitter. So if you go to my Twitter oh, profile, yeah, I've seen you that. Can <laughs> I, I embrace it. If he wants to mock me for my taste in film, that reflects poorly on him, not on me. But then I blocked him afterwards. Mm. And I've got more used to, rather than getting into a, a debate, block or just mute someone yeah, walking away from things. It's not worth way. the hassle. The toxic elements will slowly dissolve themselves into their own little echo chambers where only people who want to hear what they're saying will hear them. Until then, we just ignore them. And I think it's too easy for people to just make another account as well, and that's why these things just just blow up. <laughs> Confession time. <laughs> I've got three accounts. I've got a legitimate backup account in case, because film-related accounts occasionally get this whole thing. Uh, we saw Jump Cut Online get this about two years ago when you post a poster that has been shared by the actual distributor and then the distributor slaps a non, a, an NDA against you and gets your account shut down. And it's like, hang on, that was your official materials that you'd released to the public. 
why are you blocking us down? So in order to make sure that if that happens, I've got a backup account, I've got a backup film file account ready to go live on if things go a bit wrong when I post something. Mm-hmm. Or occasionally Twitter gets a bit, oh, you're using this account a lot. Why are you doing this? And with how busy MTOS can get on a Sunday, sometimes there's a risk that I might get a warning saying, whoa, we're detecting spam activity from this account. So I've always got the backup one going. And then I've got a joke account, which I use just to... Uh, post out jokey things in a like in a, in a poking <laughs> kind of way <laughs> um so for for people that are that are not ready to go back to the cinema yet do you have any standout films that you'd recommend or anything that you'd say for for why they should maybe go back if they're thinking about it they should always go back. I mean, cinema is such a, a broad church with with many different followers and many different religions in there. And so there's something for everybody. Uh, and, and, you know, you want to share that experience. You want to sit with somebody else in, in a theatre mm-hmm. and, uh, and and share a movie and being able to talk about it with uh, sometimes complete strangers. But, but to know that you've enjoyed something that there's somebody you've never met before is, is good enough reason. And... There's nothing like that viewing experience. You can see some some great movies in the comfort of your own home, but they don't land in the same way that they land in a cinema. You 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 know you you can be playing on your device, or you can be distracted, or get up and go to the loo, or get up and make a drink. Uh, and I would never do that in a cinema. I would never never fidget and, and and even if it's a film I'm not enjoying, get up and walk out and come back in and come back in in the way that I would when a film doesn't engage uh, on Netflix or on, mm-hmm. on home streaming or whatever, you engage with cinema. It, it becomes a part of you. Uh, you empathize, you sympathize, you, it annoys you, it makes you laugh, it scares you. And and that's why it's there is to have that shared experience every time in a way that a home platform is just a, simply a means of entertainment. Cinema is about inciting something within you that, that, that is just works on, on why we like story. Ultimately, we, we're mm-hmm. engaged by story and characters. It's in our DNA. It's who we are, and that's why we go to the cinema to engage in something that is that is 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 part of our own narratives, let alone sharing someone else's. Yeah, until the day that I've got a twenty foot TV and fourteen speakers in my living room, the cinema will always <laughs> be the home experience. Uh, like Lee said, it's the immersive aspect of it, and it's the shared enjoyment. If you consider going to see a comedy film, consider watching something like, say, American Pie. Your first experience of it was watching it at home. You'd maybe chuckle. You'd maybe smile. I remember watching American Pie in a crowded cinema and we were belly laughing because other people enjoying it and laughing at things makes you laugh. Just the simple act of someone yeah. laughing near you can spark you off. And so you get a lot more enjoyment. Horror films are so much better with a shared experience. You can sit and watch a horror film at home and go, oh, made me jump. And that's about it. Even just sharing with one other person, there's something more to be made of a horror film. Isn't there, Lee? Such as when you jump a few times. We watched The Quiet Place too, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> and I left out of my, my seat. And you did, you give that nervous laugh in a cinema because you are there on 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 the hallowed ground and and it's you know that you've made a little bit of a a, a fool out of yourself by leaping three yeah. feet out of your chair but <laughs> that's why we go i've been fond of saying oh, i did that a few times <laughs> i've been fond of saying over the past year that i've got a fridge and cooker at home but i'll still love to go out for a meal at a restaurant so why should i not enjoy cinema just because i have a great tv set up 
it's an experience. It's a it's a different level of watching things. And I think Lee kind of hinted on it earlier with um, watching The Tomorrow War, that that feels like a film that would benefit from the big screen. It would have been so much better to have enjoyed films like that on the big screen because when you're watching it at home, you can get distracted. You can yeah. you can disappear to the toilet and put it on pause and come back in and forget where you were up to. You you start to get picky about the detail. It's it's easy to overlook some ropey effects work when it's presented to you on a huge screen in that kind of environment of a cinema. At home, it's easier to be picky. Uh, whenever I yeah, that's so true. Whenever I watch something at the cinema, I don't even break to go to the toilet. I don't care how bursting I am or how long this film is and how long I've got to wait. <laughs> I will wait until the end credits are rolling. And even then, I'll wait until I know there's nothing at the mid-credits scene before I race out. And I've sat through some absolute bum number length films that I have been bursting <laughs> 30 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Could you leave us with uh, one recommendation from this year so far? I think I'm going to have the same one as Andy, which was uh, our first experience of walking back into a cinema and seeing nobody because nobody was the perfect B movie. Um, The perfect reason to see something at the the cinema, which was uh, an absolute joy. Didn't really do that much research into what it was going to be. Walked in, loved every minute of it. Uh, and walked out with a big silly smile on on my face, and took me back to a time when I go, you know what? When that's out on on Blu-ray, I'll have that because that's how it made me feel. And it was just the perfect film to get back into this cycle of cinema. Great choice, <laughs> thanks, Lee. For me, a, a film that I'd pick. I mean, yeah, nobody is a great choice. Like he said, I'd agree with him entirely on there. I'd also throw in in the Heights. Because I've had the pleasure of seeing that mm-hmm. at the cinema, but also seeing it at home. And I think that the cinematography in that really lends to the big screen. It makes it an event. It was marvellous. I went into that expecting yeah. nothing. And I walked away humming show tunes and clicking my fingers. I was well and truly in it. Oh, me too. <laughs> uh, but there's been other films that have really hit me this year. The Father hit me on a deeply personal level that I spoke about on our podcast. Yeah. Because I've got yeah. experience of seeing people going with dementia. Um, another round which is on release at the moment is an absolute joy of a film and then on streaming there was things like mitchell's versus the machines which was an utter blast mm-hmm. of fun and map of tiny perfect things is possibly one of the standouts of the past year for me that it just came out of nowhere and it showcased Catherine newton as an actress that i'm going to be keeping an eye on very closely and she's in freaky well worth checking out yes yeah, some brilliant <laughs> recommendations there <laughs> Um, and just to finish off, you work at the lovely Light Cinema in Sheffield. Can you tell listeners who are in Sheffield about the exciting developments that have been happening there recently? Yeah, we've reopened with um, a bit of a surprise refit that no one was really expecting. We've been expecting some elements of refit for the past few years. I know the cinema's only been mm-hmm. open since 2017, but there was improvements that could be made. So during lockdown, and literally it was right up until the last minute that they were working on it um, before we opened, our bar area has had a facelift. There's a grass zone near the windows with wicker furniture for a different kind of aesthetic and comfort feel. Uh, We're still awaiting more furniture for the rest of the bar area to match the kind of themes that are going on there. There's like a, a little side jungle room that has been set up (laughs) and it's all to give a bit of personality to the building because one thing that the light has always wanted to be it's not wanted to be 
corporate looking. It's not wanted to be a typical multiplex. It's wanted to tread that line mm-hmm. between multiplex and small indie cinema and have a personality of someone who gets fun watching film. We're not just getting people, we're not getting customers in to sit in seats, watch a film and get out. We like to have guests come and join us to enjoy a night out. And that's where the whole theming of the bar area comes from. You're supposed to come in and feel that this isn't like your normal cinema. In addition, Mm -hmm. by the end of July, we're going to be having a pizza oven um, up and running with pizza chefs churning out as many pizzas as they can make for as many customers who want them. And <laughs> I cannot wait. They've got a Nutella pizza on, me, on me offer there. A Nutella pizza. That's me sorted. Uh, it, <laughs> it's something that they've introduced in a few of their sites. Uh, when they opened the one in Adelston, I was down for Adelston's um, site opening weekend and they couldn't keep up with the demand on the pizzas and the pizzas are amazing. So having pizzas and sides will give us a nice food offering to make it a full night out. And it's really going to give a whole new energy to the building. This It's one of the reasons why I absolutely love working there is because it is all about having fun with a night out of the cinema. It's not just about bums on seats and box office figures. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for the for the pizzas to arrive. <laughs> there is only one drawback now, though. Um, I designed a Minecraft cinema during lockdown, which was based on the light. I saw, I've now got to yeah. update the new refit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It was great. Um, um, where can we find out more about the Film File podcast and follow you on social media? So you can follow us on Twitter, at Film File UK. On Instagram, Film File UK. Uh, my own website, filmfile.uk, Facebook slash Filmfile UK. You might spot a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> and the letterbox profile, if anyone wants to see what I score films and what kind of activity I get up to and how many things I actually watch each month. Um, my letterbox profile is just Filmfile. Uh, but follow us. Join like follow us on Twitter and join in the Sunday night hashtag MTOS, which stands for Movie Talk on Sunday, where we just share a topic, ten questions, and have a discussion around at the particular topic. We did Disney this weekend, and it was marvelous. And straight afterwards, I went onto Disney Plus and started watching Alice in Wonderland, and I've watched Peter Pan this morning. So I'm on a Disney. Disney <laughs> And the episodes they release on Thursdays, don't they? Uh, the episodes, we go on the radio on No Barriers Radio on Thursdays, but I usually release the okay. podcast usually by the Wednesday evening. And the podcast version is u- sometimes only a few minutes longer than the radio version. Most of the time, it ends up about one, one hour 20 instead of the hour that the radio version gets. So we always say subscribe to the podcast. You can find the podcast on all your major podcast platforms. Or if you go to pod.link slash filmfileuk, you'll be able to find the links to Spotify, Apple, whatever, Google Podcasts, etc. All the links are there. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, for Thanks so much. That's okay. Yeah, it's been a really great discussion. So thank you. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks very much for inviting us on. We, uh, we, we just love talking about films, as you can tell. Fantastic. Cheers. Thank you for joining me for today's bonus cinema special episode of The Social Sanctuary and a huge thanks to Lee and Andy for being such fabulous guests. 
You can find out more about the film file and subscribe to Andy and Lee's awesome podcast using the links in the show notes. And I'll be back with series three of The Social Sanctuary in the Awesome. I'll see you for the next one. Thank you.